In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The Gospel of the Gospel of John, which this reading we just read is from, is it starts off by talking about the God who tabernacles with us, the God who tents with us, literally the God who, who camps out with us, or in modern English, the God who chills with us. And this gospel is one of the best uh, illustrations, one of many best illustrations, of how God deals with us, how God takes people where they're at, right? We read this specific gospel at least twice, once during Lent, with the spirit of repentance, but then we actually read it again during Pentecost, but with a different spirit, with a focus on, on the joy of it. And we usually talk about the repentance of the Samaritan woman, which is we will talk about. But this, this story is actually the story of the repentance of multiple people, not just of the Samaritan woman. And it's also a way of seeing how our God deals with people, right? That God takes people where they're at. But before even saying that, a lot of people will, will, will hear the word Samaritan, but they don't, they don't know what a Samaritan is, why it's a big deal, right? And it says casually in the Gospels, because when the Gospels were written, everybody knew what a Jew and Samaritan would think of each other. So they had no need to get into the details of what's going on. But if you can imagine, let's say a religion and a people came into Egypt, and Egypt was completely Christian, and took over and kicked out almost all of the Christians. Okay, almost all the Christians ended up leaving. And then some Christians that remained, let's say they start intermingling with the religion that took over, and they kind of want to stay loyal to Christianity, but they're also dealing with their situation, and they invent this hybrid Christian religion with whatever religion invaded. Okay? Imagine hundred years later, the Christians of Egypt get to come back. Those that left, that suffered, that were in trouble, that paid the price for the religion, might be very mad at the people who remained and mixed with this other religion and didn't stay loyal. That's what happened between the Samaritan and the Jews. Okay? The Samaritans were people who were originally Jews. Okay? And when the northern kingdom, the capital of which was Samaria, was taken over by Assyria, the Assyrians occupied Samaria, and the Jews that were left over married them, intermixed with them, had an interreligion with them, and they, had, they made up their own hybrid Jewish-slash-pagan religion, right? And so they had their own customs, they had their own rules, many of them were similar to the Jews, but this is why the Jews hated them, okay? They hated them. To them, a Samaritan was like touching a dog, which meant they were defiled, they would say that, right? To them, you're not allowed to touch anything that belongs to a Samaritan. This is why the Samaritan woman is going to say, how are you, being a Jew, touching my water pot? Because she knew that in the Jewish tradition, even touching her stuff would make Jesus undefiled, would make him defiled, right, by the ritual laws, right? This is how serious it was between them. So in the, in the first verse of the story, when it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria, no, he didn't. Right? When people want to go from Judea to Galilee, they would take a route where they would not go through Samaria to make sure that they didn't defile themselves from going in there. So the Lord is saying, I need to go. Is him not saying, I need to geographically? 
It's him saying, I need you because there's someone I need to see. There's a work that I need to do. Because I don't think the way that you do. And not just that, the reason why he's leaving is because everyone's upset. Right? Everyone's upset by his teaching. So everybody, there's a lot of wrong going on in the story. And when he gets to this place of the well, this place of the well because he's thirsty, is very symbolic. Because it's not just any well, it's Jacob's well. Right? This is, this is the, the ancestor of the Jews. This is a holy site for them that's occupied by these Samaritans. Right? And he's going to the place where people go when they're thirsty. Right? Which is very symbolic in the story of the unfulfilled life. Right? The people who just feel something missing. Right? How many of you have ever felt, I just feel empty, I just don't know what I'm doing, even though things are going fine, things might not even be going badly. Right? But you just feel like, I just don't know, there's something missing, there's something not filled. Right? This spiritual thirst. And he goes there thirsty, and he has work to do, but we see that right when they get there, the disciples take off. And I'm very curious to know why they took off, because the, the Gospel doesn't tell us. Because there's a good chance that the, that the disciples took off because they felt really uncomfortable. Right? Of being like, here's the Lord taking us to another place that we're not supposed to be. Breaking all of the rules that we're not supposed to break. So they, they may have just been like, Lord, uh, we'll go get the food. Right? We'll take care of the food. And they disappear, and they disappear clearly for a really long time. Right? Because they don't come back till the end of a very long conversation and a lot of things have happened where it seems to me they just, they just don't want to be there because they are thinking as the world thinks. But the Samaritans are thinking as the Samaritans think. Because it's one thing to be mad at the Samaritan, that the Jew who converted a hundred years for, at the time of the story, 400 years previously. Okay? But it's another thing for the person who's born into it, who has no idea. Right? And so the Jews are born into their system, the Samaritans are born into a system. Each one of them wants God to be only their own, and the Lord is coming saying, but I'm actually coming to call everybody to me. I don't think the way that you think. Right? And so he goes and breaks every single kind of rule. One, he's a man sitting privately with a woman, that's not a thing. Okay? In Mediterranean culture, that's a no-go. Right? Second, he asks her, the person that they're supposed to be in a fight with, Right? To give him a drink, which is bold. And the woman is shocked. Right? She's like, okay, no, 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 you're breaking every kind of rule. First of all, you're a man talking to me, a woman. And not just any woman, a woman who is a Samaritan. And you want me to use my stuff to give you a drink. Who are you? Like, what's up with you? You know this is not a thing. Right? And... The Lord doesn't get upset, right? The Lord doesn't respond being like, when timin aslan, right? Who are you even to, to talk to me like this, right? He actually approaches her, just taking her where she's at, and says, you know, actually, if you know who I am, right? He's almost being playful. You might ask for me to give you a drink and I give you living water. Now, living water means something. Living water means not still water, water that's moving, okay? Because still water 
is a, is it can be a source of, of, of sickness, right? Water that's just sitting there can collect bacteria. So people tended to want to drink, if it was available, from springs, not from sitting water, not from well water. So she's at a well. The Lord is saying, but if you ask me, you could have received living water. You could have been... So she's thinking of it literally. She's not thinking spiritually at all. The Lord is speaking about the Holy Spirit. She has no idea, right? And then, so she looks at him and just using her logic says, but sir, she's speaking, speaking to him respectfully, right? Sir, um, you don't have anything to draw with. And this well is very deep. Exactly where do you think you're going to get this water from? Who do you think you are? So even though the Lord didn't say that to her, she flips on him. Who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than our father Jacob? She got political and religious and everything right away, which is really funny when we get to what her sins are, right? Where it's like it just shows how we're all into fighting over anything, where the reason why she's there at noon by herself is because of her lifestyle, right? But she's pulling a religious argument right away, right? Are you better than Jacob, um, who gave us this well and everybody drank from? The Lord says, whoever drinks from my water is, is not going to thirst. I said, okay, well then hook me up. I want this water that makes me not thirst anymore. But she's still thinking the source to all problems is material. Right? That's, that's what she thinks is, is the solution. And it's for that reason that one of the, the early teachers in the church, Master Origen, he says that the five waters that she leaves behind that we're going to get to in a second can represent one of two things. The five senses. The person who lives by the senses. Right? That that's what you leave behind when you accept the living water. Those who, who think that the answer to everything in life is materialism. Right? Or that they could be the five books of the law. Those who live the letter of the law. And don't understand the law of the spirit. And so she says, I want that. I want to not be thirsty. But this is where Christ is saying, but this is why I came back. Right? I came for you. And the reason why you're here at this hour is because you're embarrassed. Right? He doesn't need to say all this because she already knows it. Nobody goes out at the Aiz Shams at the heat of the, 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 the peak of heat in the middle of the afternoon to go to the well to get water and walking a long distance. People who do that are trying to avoid people, and she's trying to avoid people. So the Lord says, let's just get to the root cause of what's going on here. And he says, go bring your husband and come, and we'll talk about the living water. Because what's your obstacle to the spirit is this thing that's going on in the background that we're not talking about yet. And so he invites her to repent. He invites her to change her mind. He invites her to confess. Right? And he does it very gently. Because she could have answered with anything. But she feels that there's something different. So she answers and says, I don't have a husband. And the Lord who's looking for anything to praise us for. That's the opposite of what we think. We're expecting God to always be yelling at us. Right? But the Lord's response is not negative. The Lord says, you know what? Good for you. Well said that you have no husband. Good for you for being honest. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. Because you've actually had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. So I meant the five husbands that she leaves, not the, the five water pots. And having five husbands is a big deal because there's a local tradition that even if you legally married, 
there was a, it was a, a social tradition, it wasn't a legal tradition, you should never exceed having three in your life. So on every level, this woman was anti-everything, right? But now she's living with a guy that she's not married to. If you think that's an embarrassing situation today in our culture, it was much more 2,000 years ago, right? And that's why she's humiliated. This is why she's avoiding everybody in town. This is why she's there by herself saying, let me go, but nobody's there. I don't want to be judged. I don't want humiliation. I don't want to look at me badly. I don't want to have a conversation. I'm escaping. So the Lord actually says her sins for her. He says it for her. Right? He didn't force her the humiliation to keep on going into the details. Right? This is the kind of compassion that, that he has. And then she, she doesn't really know how to react to this. Right? So she says something that seems like a no-brainer. And says, sir, I, I get the sense that you're a prophet. <laughs> right? Because how did, you, how did you know these things? But she still doesn't want to talk about her issue. She switches the subject right away and goes, okay, if you're a prophet, tell me. Your people say we're wrong to do this and this. And she gets into a religious debate. But the Lord respects her. He enters the religious debate. But she asks him, an extremely controversial question, right? This question that she's asking today is, is, is almost like saying, are you pro-vaccine mandate? And then somebody just gets the popcorn and watch the fight erupt, right? What do you think of the, uh, uh, the new abortion law in Texas? Watch the fight erupt. This is the kind of thing she's asking. It's not, a, it's not a small question that she's asking. This is the source of major division and major barriers, political barriers, physical barriers, monumental fights. This is a huge issue. And she's saying, what's your opinion? Right off the bat. But the Lord's not looking for a debate, right? The Lord takes her to the truth. Before I even answer your question, she's going to say it. Let me just tell you that there's a time coming where it's neither. You're, you, you're, you're living in this polar world just like we are today, of this or that, white or black in this issue. But I'm actually telling that soon it's going to be neither. Those who will worship the Father will worship in spirit and truth because the Father is spirit. But he doesn't shy from the question. He comes back to it and says, but salvation is of the Jews. He's not afraid to come back to the real answer of saying that, but... But the promise, the promise of salvation was a promise made to the Jews and was going to come to the whole world through Judaism. He doesn't deny it either. Right? He doesn't shy from answering the question. But look at the difference in how he dealt with her from how we deal with people that we think are bad. Right? The Lord, first of all, didn't look at her as bad. He made his way to see her. Second... He started having a religious conversation. He didn't say, Ya mama, right? This is too early for this kind of conversation. Right? You're still living with this guy. When you leave him, come and, and let's have a conversation. Right? He didn't. He's like, sure, let's talk. You want to talk about Samaria and Judea? No problem. We can talk about that. There's nothing that's, that's off limits. He made himself accessible, making the return, making the change of mind, making the repentance not so scary for her, right? Because after he goes into this conversation, this tells you something about the beauty of this woman, and I love the boldness of this woman. This woman is somebody who's clearly so, having dealt with society, she just is what she is. She doesn't have a filter, she's not afraid. She's respectful, but she just, she just says it like it is, right? 
And because of it, the Lord reveals something to her in a way that we don't always pick up on. When he says the one who is, when she says, but I heard there's a Messiah coming who's going to fix all this, she, she's excited. He says, the one who is speaking with you is he. The English doesn't capture what the Greek text is saying. What the Lord actually says to her is, the one who is talking with you is I am. He drops the name of God, the unspoken name. He actually says point blank to her, the one who is speaking to you, I'm God. Those who think that the Lord never said that he's God, you know, he, he is very explicit. Right? Very explicit. Right? Sometimes he leaves people guessing. Sometimes he just says it like it is. And so he, in, in, in this moment, the well of Jacob, at the place of this meeting place between the person and God, just like Moses asked the voice in the bush, who are you? And the Lord said, I am, I am. This woman received that same grace that Moses did. She got to hear the Lord speak his name. Right? They shared God speak his name. We sometimes think that if we're sinners, we don't have access to that. We sometimes think that, when we're, that if we've done the worst things in the world, that God doesn't want us to be with him, that God is upset with us, that God doesn't want to talk to us. That's not the issue. God wants to. God is ready to walk to Samaria to see you. God is ready to reveal mysteries to you. God's grace is never withheld. God's natural grace is never withheld. But I can refuse God's grace. I can live in hiding. I can only come at noon and try and stay away. I can change the subject. I can hate myself so much that I don't want to hear anybody say something good to me. The problem is not God. The problem in repentance, the problem in forgiveness is never God. God is one always saying, it's fadlan, come, welcome. I'll finish your sentence for you, Mishak Sithak. Right? You just said, I don't have a husband. No problem. I know, intikaza. Right? Qalas khirsit. It was said. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't need to be pulled out. And it's that sense of fearlessness, that sense of real divine love penetrating the heart, the being in the presence of the God, is why it says that the minute he says who he is, she drops everything. And the place of her shame becomes the place of her glory. The first place that she goes, it's like she already forgot the guy living at home. She doesn't go, to go grab him. She goes straight to the town, the place she's avoiding. And says, I need to tell you guys something. Let me tell you a man who knows everything about me. Do you think he could be the one? Right? And suddenly, this woman who was thirsty forgot she was thirsty. She didn't even, she le it says literally she left her water pot. She's now filled by the Spirit. Right? She forgets that she had that kind of thirst. Suddenly, that's not what matters to her anymore. It's not the material, it's not the senses. It's not the water, it's not the food, it's not the money, it's not the position, it's not the social status. It's not how many likes you got and how many followers you have. That was important to her. After her encounter, it wasn't. She forgot it, she left it, and she went straight to the place of her shame. 
and that she was changed, that she was different, is why the people took her seriously. Right? The people could have said, who do you think you are? What would you know about religion? Aren't you the one living at the edge of the town with that guy? But they could see something different in her. Right? This reminds me of, this, this story always reminds me of a verse from the Song of Songs that says something that's very illogical. The Song of Songs is a romance book about the soul and God, the church and God. But it says, there's a verse in it that says, draw me, the woman says to her lover, and we will run after you. It makes no sense, right? People don't want to share their love. The love of God is different, right? That her being drawn made her draw the whole town with her. It became a we. Not I will follow you, it was we will follow you. And then the whole town repents. These children of these people who changed religions, who did whatever, they listen. God knows that they're willing to listen. The Jews decided they're not worth talking to. God said, all my kids are worth talking to. And even though I'm on a mission trip that's supposed to start with the Jews, I'll go out of my way for these non-Jews. Right? He'll do it elsewhere with the Gentiles. Right? And because of his openness to them, these people who theoretically in the Jewish eyes hate God, they're converted. They're converted. They convert by this woman, then they come see him, and then they say, they say to the woman, you know, first we believe because you told us, now we believe because we encountered him. Right? All of us, if we're repenting, all of us, if we have this encounter with the Lord, all of us, if we are changed, can be the reason why others come to God. I used to work on a website years ago, like in 2000, 2001, when I was still in pharmacy school, and there was forums. And I got two different emails from two di different people from two different states who had almost the exact same story. I was saying, yeah, I was never into religion, I was kind of atheist, I'm a little bit older in my life now and I'm looking for the religious thing. And all I remembered was just this person from my university who was Coptic Orthodox. And they were just different. So when I started considering religion, I googled Coptic Orthodox because that's what I remembered and I came across this website. Just encounters. I bet you whoever those two people were in those two stories, those two Christians, probably have no idea, probably have no idea they had an impact like that on somebody. That just their mode of living, just because of their encounter with Christ, brought others to Christ. Right? This is the power of a life of repentance, the power of living rightly. The disciples eventually come back. And the disciples are playing it a little bit more politically of like, you know what, let's, uh, let's not talk about it, right? So they're like, we'll just bring up the food. We, we brought the food, right? We just don't address the elephants in the room that were in Samaria and you're chilling with Samaritans. We're just not going to talk about it. And so the Lord looks at them and says, I already ate. But just like the Samaritan woman, they're also thinking with the five senses. They're thinking essentially, did someone bring him food? The right? Why, when, when did he eat? Because they're still thinking in the same way. Shows you that even the disciples didn't have the same 
heart at the time as a Samaritan woman, right? And the Lord said, I have a different kind of food. The nourishment, my fulfillment, my, my satiety, my fullness is from doing what I ought to do. And he says this as a man, because it's the same thing for all humans, to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? To love God above all and my neighbor as myself. To be as I was designed. That's, that's the will of the Father. That's supposed to be my first and foremost goal of everything else. But then disciples would eventually repent. They'd eventually understand. But they didn't yet. And the Lord even, if you want to understand to the extent that he's chilling with them, when I said at the beginning that he's speaking their language, it comes off very formally. But the Lord says, hey, don't you guys have this saying? Um, let me get the wording of it. Um, there are still four months and then comes the harvest. That was a local saying, right? But the Lord is entering into their culture so much that he's like, yeah, you guys have a saying where you guys say this? Yeah, that, that's what's going on here, right? That there's this harvest coming that you don't understand, and it's the whole world, right? The Samaritans, the Gentiles, everybody. And then the last group that we don't see repenting in this story, but some of them did, are those who didn't know the five that live by the five books of the law, right? Origen said that there's those who live centrally and those who live by the law. The people that the Lord was leaving, the people that were mad at him for speaking the way he did. These are those of us who don't understand the love of God but are focused only on the rules. The rules are pointers to truth. The rules are not the truth. Right? If we have nice customs about how we enter the sanctuary, that's good. We have customs about how we kneel, we have customs about how we fast, no problem. But these aren't life itself. These are means. And the Lord equally was worried about those who worship the law as those who worship the body. He was equally worried about both. Because truth transcends both of those. The person who enters in the law of spirit will have understanding of the law and will have understanding of the senses both because there's a proper use for both. But the law of the spirit, the identity of God, that is what's most. But may we all have this moment where we don't fear our encounter with God, that we see his beauty, that we understand that the Lord is the one who will meet all of us where we're at. The Lord is the one who is not here to condemn us. The Lord is the one who is here to finish the sentence for us. Right? The Lord is the one who's there to say, all I want is you. That's all I want. You are, you are my beloved, and my beloved is mine. To him be glory, now and always, the age of all ages. Amen. Yeah.